0: Good morning, morning. if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians. As most of you already know, we're going through the book of Ephesians together as an assembly on Sundays, and our brother Thomas Wheeler had started uh, the book with some overview of the entire book, and then some overview of the the different chapters, each chapter 1 through 6. A few weeks ago, he did that. And then last week, uh, he also uh, went into chapter 1 in in some detail. And then last week, uh, Brian had gone into Ephesians chapter 2. So the text is going to be Ephesians chapter 3, but I'm going to tell you up front that I have some of of my own overview thoughts um, regarding the book and regarding uh, the division of the book and some things that I find very important and very helpful to understanding the book of Ephesians. So we may not get into a verse-by-verse on chapter 3 this morning, but we do plan to, at least this evening, um, to get into a verse-by-verse look at chapter 3. But I just want to try to give uh, some overview thoughts that, again, I think are very helpful to understanding the book and to uh, being able to apply and live out the things in the latter half of the book. So I want to read a couple verses, starting in chapter 1. And I want to see if you can follow along with what I think is a theme, so to speak, or perhaps just a very important thought that the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, is communicating. He says this in chapter 1. In verse 17, he says, this is part of his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. And I'm going to stop there. And with that in mind, go forward to chapter 3. Chapter 3. And look at verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. And then again, verses 8 and 9. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship of of the mystery. And I'll stop there. And then again in verse uh, 17 and 18 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. And then again in verse 19 to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I think it's very important that we understand that chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, Paul repeats over and over some very similar words. And I'm going to just kind of lump them all together. He says that you may see, that you may understand, that you may comprehend, and that you may know. And those thoughts are repeated again and again. It's as if there's something that Paul wants you and I and the Ephesians to get. I want you to get something. I want you to get something. I want you to see. I want you to understand. I want you to comprehend. I want you to know. There are something or some things that the Apostle Paul is saying by the Spirit of God that I want you to get. I want you to understand. Something that is obviously missing and we should not just just go on without notating it. Something that's obviously missing from chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are commands. You'll be very hard-pressed to find even one direct command. You could perhaps find an indirect command, maybe one or two at best. You could stretch to find an indirect command. That is to say, I want you to do this. I want you to walk this way. I want you to act this out. There are very few of those direct commands. You don't find them. However, chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, there is a verse after verse after verse after verse of command after command. I counted, you could count 50 to 100 commands. Clear. You don't have to stretch it. They're clear commands. Whereas in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there is an absence of command, of direct command. I think that that's very important, and I think that it it was very intentional. In fact, look at the way that he starts chapter 4, which we're not in today. Chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What is that? It's a command, isn't it? It's a direct command. And I challenge you, we're not going to read through the whole first three chapters, but I challenge you, read through the first three chapters of Ephesians and look for commands. You'll see that there are none. You can get a hint that maybe one or two indirect commands, but there are no commands. Now, why is that important? Because, as he says in chapter 4, I, therefore, we've heard it before. Whenever you see a wherefore or a therefore, check to see what it's there for. I therefore, Paul's saying, in light of what I've said in chapters 1, 2, and 3, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That is to say, don't jump into what you ought to do, what you need to do, before you get into the things you need to understand. There are things that you need to see, you need to understand, you need to comprehend. In fact, there are things you need to know before you can ever get into the Christian walk, into the things that we are to do. And I this was mentioned, I'm just repeating things that the Lord has put on my heart. I know that some of this was mentioned by Thomas and even by Brian a little bit last week. But I think it's very, very, very important to understand that the Christian life has a practical outworking. Those are the things we ought to do. But there is also a spiritual inworking. That is what God is doing within us. The Bible uses the word time and time again, transformed, transformed. Remember Romans 1 or 12, 1 and 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. There is something in the Christian life of an inworking of the spirit of God and the heart of man that manifests itself with an outworking. And what I see, and many commentaries as well see, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are the in-working. They are doctrine, whereas the latter half of the book proposes our duty. They are command. I'm sorry, uh, uh, spiritual truth in the first three chapters, whereas you find spiritual commands in the last three chapters. You could say that the first three chapters are right-believing and the last three chapters, right-behaving. If you like big words, someone puts some in big words to the contrast between Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Indicatives in the first three chapters. Imperatives in the last three chapters. Or if you like even bigger words, orthodoxy in the first three chapters. Orthopraxy in the last three chapters. There is. This is so important. There is... The Spirit of God working on the inner man. Sometimes we get the idea, and I've actually had people tell me this. Don't tell me so much about all the things, all oh, this doctrine and stuff. Don't tell me about it. Just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. And sometimes we might even say, well, here's what God says to do. Just do it. Just do it. But the problem is, is if you look at the New Testament as a whole, and I'm not saying you can't apply that truth to some little things. You might walk through the building and see a piece of trash on the floor and say, well, I ought to pray about it to see if I, well, just do it. Just pick the piece of trash up. But when it comes to living out the spiritual Christian life, to doing things like forbearing with one another, walking in humility, it's going to talk about loving my wife as Christ loved the church, not provoking my children to wrath. Those are things that I can't just do. I can't just do them. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7? He goes through this whole back and forth. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. The things that I ought to do, I don't do. And the initial part of his conclusion is this. Because I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I can't just do it. You can't just do it. So if we were to leave the first three chapters of Ephesians, to disregard them, to move on to the latter half of Ephesians, and this is true of the whole Word of God, if you were to ignore the doctrines, the positional truth of what God has done, of what Christ has done on your behalf, of where you were and where you are now, of where God has placed you, of... These thoughts like redemption and reconciliation and regeneration, these are things that we need to be growing and are knowing. We need to be understanding these things. If you're failing in your spiritual walk, then perhaps you need to go back to consider your spiritual understanding. That is, what are the things that you know? Because you can't just do it. I can't just walk worthy of the calling with which... I am called. It's a high calling. In fact, you look at that and you think, boy, After if you go through the first three chapters of Ephesians and you see all these high thoughts, the power of God, the wisdom of God, all that He's done, and then Paul, in this emphatic way, says, I therefore, in light of all that, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You think, wow, what's this calling? Am I going to soar on high? Am I going to fly like an eagle? Am I going to take a banner across the whole entire world and tell them about Jesus and all these things and, and, and not to diminish any of that? But when you look at what he says, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You and I cannot do that in and of ourselves. We cannot walk worthy of the calling with which we were called without the Spirit of God working in the inner man by the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, 2 and 3 it are chapters filled with wonderful Christian doctrines. The unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul would say. Spiritual truth that is so grand and glorious. You and I need to understand it. Now, the wonderful thing is that it is unsearchable. You'll, you'll never get to the end of it. There's no end of it. So there's no one sitting in this room that, quote-unquote, understands. That they've gotten to a point of... No, 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 that doesn't work that way. There is a continual growing in our knowing of what God has done. You read the first three chapters of Ephesians, and you see time and time again who God is, not what you need to do, what God has done, not what you need to do, but what God has already done for you, where you stand in Christ, your position in Christ, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, what He has done. I, I think of it a lot like, and I'm going to use a practical illustration I understand that practical illustrations always fall short of spiritual truth. They only just help to point us in the right direction. So don't get me wrong, if you take this illustration and carry it out to every possible way, there'll be areas where it doesn't fit. But I think that it does help in some sense. I think of it a little bit, the Christian life. Like a new job. I remember when I first got the new job, I had been looking for some time, you know, and months of applying and all the tediousness if you've been through it any time recently, online applications and on and on and on. Until finally that day, I got that email. We've accepted you. Woo! I've been accepted, I'm a new employee, hugs for everyone, this is tremendous. That's a lot like becoming a new Christian, you know? I knew nothing about what the job entailed. I knew nothing about the powers I would have, the position I had. I knew nothing about the benefits, really, of what the job brought to me. I knew nothing of the responsibilities of being a new employee. I just knew that I had been accepted. I was a new employee. And that's a lot like becoming a new Christian. There's a wonderful zeal, there's a wonderful passion a wonderful excitement and joy when we first come to know the Lord, isn't there? I hope you experienced that. I know I did. But there is a point in time when you realize, well, as wonderful as conversion is, that's only just the beginning. And for most of us, our understanding of God, our understanding of the plan of salvation, our understanding, our knowledge of all that's really transpired in conversion is so minuscule compared to what the word of God would unveil. There's so much to what happened to you that day at conversion that you can be growing in your knowing of. You've been redeemed. You who were in bondage to sin, he has deliverance by payment of a price. That's redemption. He's paid a price to redeem you, to bring you out of the slave market of sin. And you have a new master. You who were once afar off, he's going to say, you've been reconciled back to him. Do you realize that? These are positional truths. This is the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the gospel that we need to understand. If you're failing in your spiritual walk, perhaps you need to go back and consider your spiritual understanding. What are the things that you know? Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know all that came about in your salvation? How you were redeemed. How you were reconciled back to God. How you were regenerated. A dead person made alive. That's all part of your salvation. That's all part of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Before you ever get to a command. Before you're ever told to do anything. And I'm not saying don't, don't get me wrong. Don't leave here today and say the, the speaker said... To not do anything for the Lord. Just enjoy it. I'm not saying that. We've got a lot of tremendously wonderful ministries going on. But what I am saying is that the spiritual walk is an outflow of spiritual life within me. And a spiritual walk and the spiritual life within me is by the Spirit of God. That means I need the Word of God... To be used by the Spirit of God, Paul's going to say, in the inner man to be strengthening me. I can't live out what God has not done within me. If I'm failing in my spiritual walk, then I need to go back to my spiritual understanding. To the things, what do I know? What am I missing here? I'm failing in sin. I'm being defeated by sin. Perhaps we need to go back to the truth that God has redeemed me and purchased me out of the slave market of sin. If I'm depressed, perhaps I need to go back and understand that I have a future. We heard about it this morning. That the Ephesians is going to say that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God will gather together all things in Christ. I have a future hope. If I'm depressed, maybe I need to go back to the truth. It doesn't mean I need to go out and do something more for God. I'm not minimizing that. But first and foremost, we need the Spirit of God working in the inner man by the word of God in order to live it out. So before Paul ever gets to the walk of the Christian in the latter half of the book, he presents this spiritual truth that he says, you need to see it. You need to comprehend it. You need to understand it. You need to know it. Now, some of you might be thinking, as I did, now wait a minute, but the Bible tells me that knowledge puffs up. So you're saying to fill myself with knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. I mean, he's telling me, in fact, he's telling me to be humble, to be long-suffering, to walk in meekness. Well, I think you can see clearly, if you read through the first three chapters of Ephesians, that what Paul is talking about is not an informational knowledge. It's not a filling of information, but it's being filled with the fullness of God. It's an experiential knowledge. That's When, Bible, when the Bible uses the word know, oftentimes it's an intimate knowing. It's a relational knowing. Like, I know my wife. There's a relational knowing. Yes, we're growing in the understanding of some of the truth of it, but it's by the Spirit of God working in the inner man to make these things real to us. Have you ever had that before? Have you ever been sitting under the sound of the Word of God or been meditating in the Word of God? And all of a sudden, the light bulb turns on on a particular thing, and you say... I feel like I knew that but, but I didn't know it I feel like I understood that I had heard that before but I didn't know it that's what Paul is talking about there is this experiential relational knowledge where we're growing in our understanding and at that time the spirit of God is working in the inner man as he's going to say in chapter 3 to strengthen us to build us up and we need that don't tell me just do it because I can't just do it. I need the Spirit of God working in my inner man by the Word of God in order to be able to walk as I ought to walk. So it's not informational knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. In fact, there are several ways how we know that this is true. One of the ways we know it's true is because this understanding that paul was given did the very opposite of puff him up in fact if you carry out paul's the revelation paul gave him the knowledge that was imparted to him you carry it out into chapter three you know where you find paul on his knees before god and if you read through the prayer and we'll look at it later it's as if he's saying lord these things are so wonderful So much by your spirit, these people are never going to get this except by the Spirit of God working in the inner man. They need the Spirit of God. This is all of you. It didn't puff Paul up. In fact, the the doctrines of salvation, the truth of the Word of God will not do that. If you just put it in your head, I suppose it could. You could be puffed up with biblical knowledge. But experiential knowledge And I'm not trying to give abstract thoughts, but opening the word of God and saying, Lord, show me your word by your spirit. Work in my heart. Turn the light bulb on on some of these things that I might understand. Is it possible that you can be puffed up with thoughts of of redemption? I was in the slave market of sin and I've been called out of that. I've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Can that puff you up? I hardly think so. That I was afar off from God. He's going to say you were without hope. You were without God. That's where you were in this world. But he has brought you back. He doesn't say you did anything in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's done it all. Does that puff you up? No, because that's biblical, spiritual, experiential knowledge where we're understanding what God has done on our behalf. So you'll see some of the things Paul says, and this is very important. i am just take a minute on it because we can. In fact, one of the criticisms that I've heard oftentimes is that, well, you guys over there just preach and preach and preach, and it's just all this truth and doctrine. You never do anything about it. Well, we need the doctrines of the Word of God. We need the doctrines of salvation. We need to corporately and individually be growing in our knowing of them that we might be able to live out the Christian life. I can't forbear with you in love. I can't walk in humility in and of myself because I know, like Paul said, that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I need the Spirit of God working in the inner man by the Word of God in order to live out the Christian life. So Paul says... In chapter 3, verse 8, after he talks about this revelation of knowledge, and we're going to get into it, he says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Do you see that? Is that puffed up? It's the very opposite. And I don't think that that's mock humility. That is true humility for each believer. For each of us, if you sit down and meditate on where you were, remember what Thomas was saying? There's all these thoughts in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Where you were, what Christ has done, where you are now. This is where you were. This is what Christ has done. This is where you are now. If a believer gets before the the Lord and the Word of God to allow the Spirit of God to... Open our eyes. You may know it, and I may know it, but there is a daily experiential understanding of these things. And it certainly doesn't puff us up. In fact, it gives us the humility we need in order to live out chapter 4, verse 1, and so forth through the rest of the book. And one other thing I want to note regarding this knowledge. It's not just an informational logical knowledge. It's not that. In fact, it defies all logic. This is the wisdom of God. This is God's plan of salvation. And it will only be by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, working in your heart, that you can understand it. So he says in chapter 3, verse 19, and I'm going to add a word or two at the beginning because it's added previously. I want you to know The love of Christ. I want you to know it. The love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You want me to know the love of Christ, but it passes all knowledge. How can that be? Well, I believe from context, and if you look at the words themselves, the the Greek words, there is, again, this expression experiential knowing this love of christ is beyond all human knowledge it's beyond logic it's beyond any intellectual assent. but you can know it did you know that you can know it by experience by opening the word of god and saying lord open my heart to the love that you've shown to me to what was displayed there at calvary when christ jesus went and bore away my sins when he was of God forsaken on my behalf, when he took the place that I should have taken. You can't fully take it in with intellectual knowledge. It's beyond intellectual knowledge, but you can know it. Paul, That's what Paul says. I want you to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And so what I see in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and obviously I'm not alone, otherwise I probably wouldn't say it. There's all of this spiritual truth, All of these biblical doctrines that need to be understood. You're never going to fully understand them, but we need to be growing. That's what he's going to say in chapter 4. You're growing in our knowing of these things in order to be able to live them out. I think back on that illustration that I had given of the new job. When I arrived that first day at work, I mean, let me ask you. Do you think when I arrived that first day at work that my boss said to me, uh, here are some notices. Go out and knock on doors, give them to people. Do you think she said, uh, here, take this and start researching this guy and see what's happened here. What's he doing? What's he hiding? Do you think she did that? Not even close. In fact, I spent essentially a whole year in training before I did much of anything in understanding who I was in that job the powers I had, the accesses I had, the benefits of my job, before I ever did anything. Now, I'm not saying again, I'm not giving you a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card to just not do anything for the law. I'm not saying that. But there is an ongoing growing and unknowing. What if I said, forget that first year of training. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't care about all that book nonsense. I don't want to, don't tell me that. Just tell me what I need to do. Will you just tell me what I need to do and I'll go do it? Today, tell it to me and I'll go do it. What kind of an employee is that? For all of us in our jobs, there is a, there's there's a, an initial and an ongoing growing an understanding. That's just a practical issue. We're just growing in our understanding of, of who we are and what we need to do. That's just like the Christian life. There is an ongoing, but it, ongoing growing, but it's so much more. Because in my job, I can... Once I have the head knowledge, I can go out and I can, in a sense, learn things by experience and I can go do my own thing. But when it comes to the Christian life, it's a spiritual walk. Therefore, we need the spirit of God. We need the spirit of God working in us that the Christian walk might flow out of us. The first thing that happened to me there that day when I got my new job and I went in the doors was I sat down and... My boss sat there at the table with me and a few others, and the very first thing she did was she said, hi, I'm Brenda, and she began to tell us a little bit about herself. She began to tell us about how long she had been uh, with the IRS and so forth and all these um, accomplishments she had and what she had done and what type of person she was, her husband, her kids, things like that. The first thing I realized that day, and maybe not so much the day, but looking back, was that day I had a new relationship with a new person. There was a new master, in a sense, a new job master that I was going to report to. And I needed to know about her. I needed to know what she liked and disliked. I needed to know what she wanted me to do and didn't want me to do. I needed to understand, of course, also my general job responsibilities. But I recognized that day I had been brought into a new relationship with a new person. One of the things that Paul's going to talk about, and I believe it's first and foremost, if you want to know what are the things that I need to be growing in my knowing of, of course I've mentioned several of them already, redemption and reconciliation, all these things concerning salvation. One of the first and foremost things you could argue is that we ought to be growing in the knowledge of Him. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the prayer that Paul grants there or gives on behalf of the Ephesians. He says, Therefore I also, in verse 15 of chapter 1, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what is his prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you to walk out the Christian life. Is that what he said? That the God of our Father... "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him." First and foremost, and I'm not arguing that there's a level of priority, but one of the, the major things we're going... We have a new relationship with a new person. We have a new master. We're no longer in the slave market of sin. We have a new master. We have a new Lord. And we ought to be growing in our knowledge of him." And it's a tremendous, tremendous growth. Has anyone here exhausted the growth of the knowledge of God? Has anyone exhausted that? Have you come to the end of it and said, I, I know everything there is to know. I know everything there is to experience of who God is. I hardly think so. It's an ongoing process of growing in the knowledge of Him. What a blessing. I have a new relationship with a new person. I have a new master. Chapter 3. He says, there are all these things that I had, I was the Jew of Jews, I was a higher up, and and, and the things concerning Pharisees, I had all these things that meant so much to me. But he says this in chapter 3, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, all those things that were so much to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And he says in verse 8, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. All of those things that meant so much to me, Paul says, I've counted them all lost. That is to say, I've given them all up. I, I've I've let them all go. If I'm going to grow in my knowledge of him, it's going to come at a cost. It's going to come it's going to cost uh, requires sacrifice on the part of you and I, that we would go before him, that we would yield. Our, well, I can't yield myself to him if I'm enraptured with the world. I can't be being filled up by the world and also be being filled up by him. I can't have a heart that is just overwhelmingly attracted to money and my, and my, my career and still be growing in the knowledge of him. This requires sacrifice. All the things that meant so much to me, these I have counted loss For Christ. I've counted all things loss. Everything that meant so much to me. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There is something better in life than all those things. You and I have them, don't we? I have my things that my heart is attracted to. You have your things that your heart is drawn to. But there is something better than all of that. There is a more excellent thing in life. And it's found in a person, in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is a relationship that I can grow to know him. I can know about him, all that he's done for me, what he is doing for me now. I can continually grow in the knowledge of him. And by the Spirit of God, there can be an experiential, by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, an experiential growing in him. Our world is filled with people who know what life is not, but do not know what life is. Our world is filled with people who know what life is not, but do not know what life is. The government has all kinds of systems and programs to help coach people out of all of their addictions and problems. The world knows that there are certain things that are not life. That's not life. Drugs and and, and addictions, and and, 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 and there are many things that the world knows. That's not life. I think of the story of this mother. She had taken the hard road of sin. She'd been through so much herself. She tried it all. She tried husbands. She tried drugs. She tried partying. She tried money, career. She tried it all. And she, at the end of it, found that nothing has satisfied. There's nothing in it. But here she has this young boy growing up before her, her son. And as he grows, she begins to see his wandering eyes. She sees him out of the glitter and glamour of the world. She sees him. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's going to do what I did. And so she begins to tell him as things come along. She finds him one day. Steeped in drugs. She says, son, that's not life. But it's as if if the question comes echoing back to her, then what is? Later on, she finds him. It's late into the morning. He's partied all night. It's as if he's weary from his partying. Son, that's not life. Trust me, that's not life. But again, it's as if the question comes echoing back, then She finds him indulging in career and and beating everyone down to climb the corporate ladder to make tons and tons of money, and even that. Son, that's not life. But the question comes echoing back, then what is? The Word of God says in John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal, that I might know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ whom you have sent The world is filled with people who know what life is not I mean, I sit around people that have been through four wives and they tell me how to live out my marriage Wait a minute. You're telling me how to well. I've got plenty of experience. I've been through four of them They 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 they, they tell me how how don't go down this road and don't be don't do this and all these different things They give me all kind of counsel They believe they know what life is not. And in a sense, many of them do. They know life is not drugs, even though the, the youth try it and some of the elderly too. They know life is not about alcoholism. They know life is not about partying. They know what life is not. But do you know what life is? This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Just intellectually, just fill my head with information about him, No, but experientially. Of course, it starts at conversion. At conversion, I've come into a new relationship with a new person. I know him. But of course, it doesn't end there. But experientially, by the word of God, that I might grow in my knowing of him. There are lots of new things in the book of Ephesians that we ought to be growing in our knowing of. You have a new relationship with a new person. You have a new story and a new song. What's the song? Well, Psalm 40 tells us it's a song of praise. Why? Because I've been redeemed. You have a new story and a new song. You have a new position. You not only have been redeemed, brother and sister, if you know the Lord, you not only have been brought out of the slave market of sin, but you've been placed in Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us you've been seated in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 tells us you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What a wonder. You have a new position. Are you growing in your knowing of that? Are you experiencing that? Pete and I were just talking about the children of Israel, how they had a possession. They had that promised land. God had promised it to them. They even had Joshua there leading them. But they didn't possess their possession for some times. Are you possessing your possessions? Are you growing in your knowing of him that you might lay hold of the things that God has done on your behalf? You have a new position. Ephesians will tell you all about that, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3. You've been given a new purpose. Thomas talked about this. You are his workmanship. If someone tells you you have no significance in life, if you know the Lord Jesus, you know that you have a new purpose. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that in all that we do we would glorify him. A new purpose. And we're part of a new people. That's what Ephesians 2 and 3 is going to talk about specifically. We're part of a new people. Are you growing in your knowing of that? Are you growing in the knowledge of this new people that you're part of a body? You are a body part? That you're part of a new family? It's the same thing. It's the body of Christ. You're part of a new family? You have new brothers and sisters? You're part of a bride? The bride that is the bride of Christ that will be presented before him, holy and without spot and so forth? You're part of a new people. Are you growing in your knowing of that? One of the most astounding things that we find regarding our knowing of Him, and I'll just close with this, not only do we get to know Him, and I think I've said this before, but He knows us. This is a two-way relationship. If I wanted... Suppose I went and tried to get to know somebody that wanted nothing to do with me. Like, you could start Googling people and find out all kinds of things. You could go on the state of Florida website and find out what kind of companies they own and all kinds of things. You could do all kinds of... You know what that would be if they had no desire to get to know you? That would be stalking. But this is a relationship where not only do we get to know him, but he knows us, knows all about us. John 10, the Lord Jesus says, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Psalm 139, David goes on and on about how God knows all about him. And it's as if when he meditated upon all that God knows about him, you know my rising, you know my sitting, you know my thoughts afar off, you know all these things about me. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. This is an amazing experiential relationship. Knowing him... And him knowing us. I think I've told the story before, but I remember one time years ago when Jessica and I were dating. Jessica is my wife. We were dating, and um, we worked at the same business. And I'll close with this. And I remember telling her about this um, gentleman that came in. It was, this was a Christian-owned business, and we would often get together for Bible studies and things like that. And I remember telling her uh, the owner was going to have a Bible study with an itinerant speaker, and he came here to Boulevard several times. And Jessica wasn't from here, so she didn't know who this was. So I began to tell her a little bit about this brother and who he was. And she said, oh, you know him? Yeah, I know him. He comes to my meeting, you know, to Boulevard. Jessica didn't come here. He comes here often, and and I know him. And I remember that day when he came. You know, anything to score points when you're dating, right? So I'm trying to build up this relationship with this guy that I knew, thought I knew. And And here he comes in that day, and... I have this imagination. I'm going to give him a big hug. This is Jessica, my girlfriend, and so forth. And here he walks in that day. And as he walks toward me, I kind of get up to embrace him. And he walked right by me. Wait a minute. I, I knew him. I, I thought I knew him. I guess I didn't know him. The reality was that as much as I thought I knew him, well, he didn't know me. Now, that's just a story. It's just an illustration. Um, There is an aspect where I do know this brother, and he does know me. But I I was very disappointed that day, as you could imagine. I was going to introduce you and so forth. So I thought I knew him, but he didn't know me. But the wonderful thing about the relationship with the God of heaven, here's the one who holds the highest place in heaven and earth the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the Father's right hand, I get to grow in my knowing of him and understand that he knows me and wants to know me personally. What a wonder. There are so many things in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now, like I said, I didn't get into uh, the specifics, but I wanted to go over this. The Lord laid this on my heart because I find it vitally important. Brothers and sisters, we can't just do Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. We need the Spirit of God working in the inner man by the Word of God that we might grow in our knowing of Him. And only by that can we live out this Christian life. Only by that can we walk and that by the Spirit of God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to look into your Word. We thank you for the glorious truth found in it. We thank you for the doctrines of your Word, the things that have been done on our behalf, the things that you have done, ideas of who you are. I thank you for all of that. Help us individually and corporately to grow in our knowledge of you and of your Word and of our salvation and of all that you've done on our behalf. Help us to continue to grow. And this understanding in an experiential way. Father, we just ask your blessing upon us. We pray that this would be a meeting of believers that continue to grow. We need a fresh spirit each day. We know, Lord, that yesterday's manna is not good for today. We need a new spirit by the by the spirit of God, a fresh spirit, a fresh working. And we pray that you would do that even here today, that you would give us good understanding of your word. And Lord, anything that I've said that that shouldn't have been said, Just pray that you would disregard it and take it from the hearts of those who might have heard it. Help us to grow with you. We love you. We love your word. Help us to go on, we pray, that we would press on, we pray in Jesus' name.